Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 13 of Sam Splaining Science. I'm Sam. I'm your host. I'll be Sam Splaining the Science. Today, we are celebrating because, as they say, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I didn't sing it. You're welcome. Um, but it is the most wonderful time of the year because it's baseball season, baby. <laughs> So this week we're going to talk about baseball and how baseball is actually a science. Let's get into it. Hey friends, welcome back to Sam's Planning Science. If you didn't notice, we took a little bit of a spring break last week. So it's been a while since we've chatted last, Um, but I hope you're all doing well. I hope your weeks are off to a good start. I'm happy to be back, and I hope you're happy to be back too. Um, I'm assuming you are, because if you're not happy to be back listening, then why would you click on the episode? Do what makes you happy. So hopefully this makes you happy. (laughs) Um, When I started to think about this podcast, um, when I was sort of in the planning stages and the brainstorming stages, I initially thought I should break the episodes up a little bit to give some time to adjust some things, get some things in order, and also, to be honest, for me to take a break every once in a while, um, because we know that if I am nothing, if not lazy. Um, (laughs) So I'm adding breaks into the podcast release schedule. So I think what I'll do is, over the course of the 52 weeks of this year, I'll divide it into four blocks of 12 episodes. So like the first 12 weeks, we had 12 episodes in a row. And then I'll take one break in between each block. Um, That should add up to 52 weeks if my math is correct, which it should be. Or else they should definitely take away my engineering degrees. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so we finished our first block, which was our winter session. And now we're getting into our next block, which is our spring semester. Um, I have some fun and interesting ideas for this block for the semester, but as always, if you have any questions or anything that you want to learn more about, you can always submit your questions to samsplainingscience.com slash ask. One thing I don't think I've ever mentioned, but that you can submit questions anonymously. Like you don't have to, you can include your name if you want like a shout out, but Um, if you have a question and you're like, oh my God, I don't want her to think I'm stupid. One, I wouldn't think you're stupid because there's no one stupider than me. Um, (laughs) but you know, if there's just something you had a question about and you didn't want your name attached to it, whatever, you can ask anonymously through samsplainingscience.com slash ask. But you can also reach out to me on Instagram and Twitter. The handle for the show is at samsplainingsci. So you can always reach out there, too, if you have questions um, that you want covered in a future episode. Cool. So that covers, I guess, the housekeeping items. So we can finally, three and a half minutes in, get started on the episode. So like I said in the intro, we're talking about baseball today. Woo! This week is finally finally opening day. 
Um, and that makes me super, super happy. Uh, springtime, you know, nice weather is starting. This all makes me very happy. But the fact that spring to me and my brain means baseball just makes the nice weather and like just this time of year, even happier, even better. Um, I love baseball. It's my favorite pastime to watch. (laughs) I'm definitely not an athlete, but for me, watching baseball is fun and entertaining and it makes me super competitive, even though I have no stake or say in how the game goes. (laughs) Um, but one thing that I love most about baseball is that it's a science. There's science in it. And not just science, but STEM. Science, technology, engineering, and math. How, you might ask? Well, we're going to talk about it in today's episode. So that brings us to today's questions. The questions for today's episode are, firstly, what is baseball? Some people who are listening to this might not be all that familiar with baseball, so hopefully those of you that do will bear with me as I Sam explain the basics of baseball so we're all sort of on the same page in understanding the sport and how it sort of works. And the second question is, where is the STEM in baseball? So we're going to talk about, in particular, the math that's involved in baseball. We're going to talk a little bit about analytics or the statistics that are collected and involved in baseball. Um, I follow a lot of people who are like big into baseball on Twitter, and they always cite these statistics and these analytics, and I have no idea what any of them mean. So I kind of took this as an opportunity for myself to dive into the meaning of some of these stats, and I'm going to Sam explain to you what I've learned about them. So it should be fun. The sources for today, um, mainly for the first half, are just my lifetime of following baseball, but I also learned a lot of the stats from sites like Baseball Reference Fangraphs and MLB.com. And those are all linked below, as my sources always are. So, yeah, let's go. Play ball, as they say. <laughs> oh, God. That's kind of embarrassing, but I'm going to leave it in anyway. That's going to be actually the title of the podcast is Play Ball. Okay, what is baseball? <laughs> what is baseball? So, for those of you who might not be as familiar, Baseball uh, is a sport that, in which two teams compete against each other. The sport lasts a total of nine innings, where each inning is divided into two halves. So the top half of the inning, or the first half of the inning, the away team plays offense, so they're batting, and the home team plays defense in the field. And then the second half of the inning, or the bottom half of the inning, The home team bats and the away team plays the field. Um, So I figured I'd sort of run through the field positions and like talk about the defense first and then go into sort of the offense and then go into like the point of the game. So first we'll talk about defense field station. So hopefully you've seen a baseball field before. I realize this is probably... This would be a good episode to have like a visual component, um, but I'm 
inept in video editing, so I don't have that. Um, but a baseball field is shaped like a diamond. And at the center of the diamond, uh, that is where the pitcher stands. It's called the pitcher's mound. Um, and the pitcher throws the baseball to the catcher, who is located at the bottom corner of the diamond or the bottom vertex, if you will, of the diamond. That is where home plate is. Um, it's also where the batter stands. So the pitcher's in the center, the catcher is behind home plate. Then there are two uh, general fielding layouts, I guess. There's an infield and an outfield. So the infield is comprised of four positions. So if we're going to move around the diamond, the first vertex, the first corner is called first base. And you guessed it, that is where the first baseman plays. Um, and then we move counterclockwise to the next corner, uh, which is second base. That's where the second baseman plays. The second baseman usually plays close to second base, but like on the first side of the base, which is also called a bag, base bag, same thing. Um, then if we continue around the corner, the third corner, the third vertex is the third base, and that's where the third baseman plays. So those are three of the infield positions. The fourth infield position is called shortstop, and that position player plays between second and third base. So they cover the ground between second and third. So the infield is usually split with two players on each side of the diamond behind the pitcher. So once we have the four infielders, then we can move even further out past the diamond to the outfield. There are three outfield positions, left field, center field, and right field. And there's left fielder, center fielder, right fielder. They stand on the grass far, far behind each base and are responsible for any balls that fly outside of the baseball diamond. So those are the field positions. I hope I painted a nice visual picture with my words. I doubt that I did, but I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so that's the defense setup. Offense, or when the team is batting, a team has nine players that rotate plate appearances where they'll send one person up to home plate to face the pitcher. And here, face the pitcher means that the pitcher will throw the ball towards the batter and the batter tries to hit the ball with their bat. That's the ultimate goal of the batter is to hit the pitch that the pitcher throws to them. Um, these are basically the same players that take the field with the exception of the pitcher. The pitcher has a designated hit, designated hitter who hits in the pitcher's place. But every other position, catcher, first, second, third, short, left, right, center, left, center, right, um, they all play defense and then they also play offense in alternating um, halves of the inning. So hopefully that gave some perspective about like the defense and the offense. Um, but now let's talk about like the play of the game, right? So 
a opposing team's pitcher will throw pitches in or near what's called the strike zone. The strike zone is a location over home plate that's about abdomen height of the batter. So the pitches are thrown towards the batter, um, and as the pitches are thrown, they're classified as either balls or strikes. When the pitcher throws the ball outside of the strike zone, the batter, um, if the batter doesn't try to swing at it, then that pitch is classified as a ball. Um, and if that happens four times in a given plate appearance, the batter can advance to first base. And then the next batter, the next player on that team, comes up to the plate. Another option is if the pitcher throws the ball, um, it could be classified as a strike. And there's a couple ways that a pitch can be classified as a strike. First is if the batter swings and misses at the ball. So it swings at the ball, but it doesn't hit it. That's a strike. There's also a called strike, which is the batter doesn't swing at the ball, but the ball is in the strike zone. So he could have hit it or they could have hit it, but they didn't hit it. So that's a called strike. There are also foul balls, meaning the ball is hit, but it lands outside of the boundary of like the first or third baseline. So like outside of the diamond, uh, your first two foul balls count as strikes, but any time after those, uh, they do not count as strikes. And then is that it for strikes? I think so. Yeah. So then at a given plate appearance, you have three strikes and you're out. I'm sure that's a very common knowledge. Now Sam's planning is feeling a little condescending. Is this condescending? I'm really not meaning it to. I hope not. I'm going to listen back and be like, wow, I sound like a real brat. Anyway, sorry if I sound like a brat. But yeah, three strikes and you're out. And then each team for each half inning has three outs. Once they get three outs, the half inning is over, and then the other team comes up to bat. Hmm, okay. So I talked about a strikeout, right? Three strikes counts as an out. But there are other ways to get out as well. So other outs include a fly out where a ball is hit in the air, but it's caught by a fielder before the ball hits the ground. Um, another type of way to get an out is called a ground out. That's where the ball's hit on the ground, but the fielders can relay it to a base before the runner gets to that base. So if the ball beats the runner to the bag, the runner is out. There's also a double play in which there are one or more runners already on base um, and a ground out is hit, but it can be relayed to multiple bases to get multiple runners out if, again, the ball beats the runner to the bag. There's also, uh, oh, another way to get out is getting caught stealing. So runners, base runners can steal bases uh, as the pitcher is winding up his pitch to throw to the batter, the base runner can potentially run to a base if he thinks that he can get there without getting thrown out. But a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of times, I actually don't know the numbers, but for some people, a lot of times um, they get thrown out. They get what's called caught stealing, where they'll try to run to second base, but 
the catcher will throw the ball to second base and the ball will beat them to the bag, which means that they're out. Okay, so I think that's most of the ways that you can get out, if not all of them. So each of those counts as an out and each half inning has three outs. Once your team has three outs, the half inning ends and it goes to the next space. Um, okay, like, but what's the point, right? Like, get on with it, Sam. The batter's goal is to travel around the bases and return to home plate. So that sort of progression of first, second, third home scores a run. And they can do that in a few different ways, right? You can do that by base running. So they can hit the ball, get to first or second or third, um, and then the player that comes up behind them can hit and, like, score them on uh, one of their hits. Um, another way, a more efficient way to do it, is to hit a home run. And that's where the batter will hit the ball out of the reach of the outfielders into the stands. And once the ball is out of play past the outfield boundary, um, then the runner can run from first, second, third home. Um, and that scores a run as well. A grand slam is a home run when there's runners on first, second, and third. So if someone comes up to the plate with the bases loaded, as it's called, when there's someone on first, second, and third, and they hit a home run, that's called a grand slam. And that scores a total of four runs. So the team with the most runs at the end of nine innings wins. So the whole point is the pitcher's trying to throw the ball deceptively enough where the batters will strike out or ground out or get out, but the batters are approaching the plate to try to hit the ball so that it can they can score runs. The team with the most runs at the end of nine innings wins. If they're tied at the end of nine innings, they play extra innings, which is also known as free baseball. In extra innings, um, they play until there's a winner at the end of an inning. So, for example, the away team, who is at bat first, um, if they score one run in the top of the 10th inning, then the home team has a chance to come up to the plate. And if the home team scores a run at the, in the bottom of the 10th inning, then they're tied again at the bottom of the 10th, and then they go to the 11th inning. Whereas if the home team doesn't score in the bottom of the 10th inning, then the game is over and the away team wins. I hope that makes sense. That felt like word vomit, but I hope it was coherent. <laughs> okay. I think that's all the, ba the background baseball that I want to share. I think that's it. I hope it made sense. I hope I explained it well. Um, yeah, it's really hard. I guess I experienced this for both baseball and science. Like to break down things that you know, like really well and explain them to other people. That's a really difficult skill. And that's why I started this podcast, right? It was like try to improve my communication abilities to break down something that I really understand and 
tell it to people who don't understand it or don't know it as well. So, yeah. Maybe my skills aren't improving at all, and that would be a bummer. But maybe they are. Maybe you listened to that whole rant and you were like, wow, Sam, I did not know baseball before. Now I get it. You're a baseball queen. Which, I mean, I knew already, but I appreciate the validation. Okay, now that we know the gist of baseball and how it's played and what the main idea is, let's get to the part that makes it even more fun. The math. The stats. Um, <laughs> so the second question was talking about what is, where's the STEM in baseball, right? What are the stats? What's the science in baseball? Um, so in baseball, like many other sports, I'm sure, but baseball is the only one that I have any knowledge about. <laughs> um, there are a lot of ways to measure things that happen in the game in terms of like a team's performance or a player's performance. So I figure we can walk through a few of these measures um, and some of the statistics that are used to inform the quote unquote analytics of baseball. Um, which is basically just taking all of these measures and making informed decisions off of the measures. Um, so I broke up the measures overall into mostly offensive and I was going to say defensive, but I'm actually realizing I only talked about pitching stats. So I don't really have any defensive measures of like how well um, an infielder comes up with difficult plays or how many errors they have. I didn't really talk about that. So really we're just focusing on offensive stats, so like batting stats and then pitching stats. So we'll start with offensive batting stats. So a lot of the measures are pretty straightforward. So for example, there's a measure called a number of plate appearances, which is basically how many times a given player will step up to the plate. Um, but then there are other measures that are a little more nuanced and they're a little more like particular. So something that I learned in researching for this episode was the term plate appearance and the term at bat are not the same because technically an at bat is only counted when a batter reaches base on a hit or on an error or on a fielder's choice. So let's talk about the loud noises outside my window. So let's talk about what that means. So at bats, so a batter can reach first, second, third base or home if they hit a home run um, on a hit, but they can also reach base on an error. And that's basically when they hit the ball such that it should be an out, but the fielder makes an error. They make a mistake. They drop the ball. They throw it away, like they throw it incorrectly and it doesn't get to the bag before the runner does. That is an error. Technically, the runner should be out, but they reached base safely 
So that counts towards an at-bat. A fielder's choice is basically when, like earlier I talked about a double play, right, where there's runners on base um, and the fielders can double up multiple runners and get both runners out. A fielder's choice is when they only have time to get one of the multiple runners out and they choose a particular base to throw it to. So let's just say there's someone on first and the batter hits the ball to shortstop. The shortstop can come up with it and throw it to second um, or throw it to first if he doesn't have time to throw it to both. If he throws it to second, then the batter reaches first base on a fielder's choice. It was the fielder's choice to throw out the base runner running to second instead of the base runner running to first. So that's technically what a fielder's choice is. So a batter can have more plate appearances than at-bats, even though I thought they were the same thing. We learn things every day, people. We do, truly. Um, Then there are metrics that come out of each plate appearance, right? So some of them actually I already talked about. So one outcome of an at-bat is a hit, right? But hits can be classified further into singles, doubles, triples, and home runs. Um, so they're, each time like somebody hits a single, it's like a tally, right? They'll add one, you know, if they hit, you know, two doubles in a game, they'll keep track of how many doubles a person hits, how many triples a person hits, Um, things like that. Another outcome, so if the batter doesn't hit the ball, they can still reach base by taking a base on balls, uh, which is the acronym BB. It's also known as a walk. So it's when they take first base because they reached the four ball maximum in the plate appearance. Another outcome of a plate appearance is if the batter gets hit by a pitch. So if the pitcher's throw hits the batter without the batter having to swing or anything, the batter can take first base automatically. Um, No matter how many pitches were thrown, no matter how many balls or strikes, if the batter gets hit by a pitch, they can automatically take first base. Um, other metrics that are measured, metrics and measured, that's pretty redundant, right? Other metrics that are measured, too bad, deal with the redundancy, (laughs) include things like number of strikeouts. So they can also tally up how many strikeouts a given hitter has, um, They also tally things like how many bases they've stolen, how many times they've been caught stealing. They can also count how many runs that they've scored, meaning how many times that that given batter has crossed home plate, as well as how many runs they've batted in or RBI. And that's basically, they don't necessarily have to cross home, but they have to have contributed to a play that brought a player home. So, for example, if a batter, if there's a runner on second and a batter hits a fly ball into the outfield 
the ball falls, it doesn't get caught. If the runner on second can make it back home without getting stolen or without getting thrown out, that batter has a run batted in. Even though themsel- they themselves didn't cross home plate, they contributed to another person crossing home plate. So that's another metric that they can use to uh, talk about their performance and their contribution to the game. There are also, so those are all sort of like raw numbers, I guess, just really talking about like a tally of like how many hits, how many walks, how many runs, and it's like one, two, three, four, right? There's no like 6.23. There's no really difficult um, calculations that go into quantifying these metrics. But then there are more complicated metrics, um, and I'll go over a couple of them. So one of those is the batting average. The batting average is calculated as the number of hits a batter has divided by the number of at-bats that they have. Um, So sort of normalizing the number of hits by the number of times they had the opportunity to get a hit. Another measure is on-base percentage, or OBP, This measure is sort of like the batting average, except it also includes walks and hit by pitches. So averages only take into account singles, doubles, triples, home runs. OBP takes into account all of those plus walks and hit by pitch. Um, So again, it's the same. It's calculated as the number of times a batter gets a hit, a walk, or hit by pitch, divided by the number of plate appearances. Similar to that, there's also a measure called weighted on-base average, or WOBA, or WOBA, um, which takes into account how the batter gets on base. So they, they give different weight to different outcomes. So they'll weigh a home run more than they weigh a walk, for example. Um, But I just really wanted to include that because WOBA, when I saw it, it really reminded me of I WOBA, you WOBA, he, she, we, WOBA. Wobology, the study of WOBA. SpongeBob, if you missed the reference. And also, it technically wasn't WOBA, it was Wumbo, but it reminded me of that. The synapses in my brain crossed in that regard, and I'm sticking with it, and that's why I included it. That's your laugh a little bit for today. If you haven't laughed yet, that's it. You're welcome. Another offensive stat is the slugging percentage, or SLG. That calculates how many bases a batter gets per at-bat. So how many bases a batter touches every time they have an at-bat? So basically it's calculated as the number of singles times one, the number of doubles times two, because for when they hit a double, they touch two bases. When they hit a triple, they touch three bases, so they multiply the number of triples by three. And then home runs, they multiply by four. That's my radiator. You might be saying, hey, isn't it April? Why is your heat still blasting? Excellent question. Anyway, the slugging percentage um, calculates or normalizes how many bases the batter touches per at-bat. 
So it normalizes singles, doubles, triples, home runs, divided by number of at-bats. The higher the value of the slugging percentage, the more, quote-unquote, power a batter has. Um, So, like, if the batter doesn't really get too many singles, but they hit a lot of home runs, they have a high slugging percentage versus someone who only hits singles but doesn't hit many home runs. They have more, like, power in that regard, more strength, more power. Um, But, yeah, essentially they're reaching more bases and they're potentially scoring and driving in more runs. That's what that metric sort of tells us. Another, I think the last, one of the last offensive metrics I'm going to talk about is the OPS. Um, It's on-base plus slugging. And it's basically the OBP, or the on-base percentage, and the slugging percentage combined. So I think they just sum them together to get this sort of combined metric. And that tells whether the hitter, the batter, can hit for average and power together. So it's a way to compare different batters who might have different approaches at the plate. Right? So like someone who, um, you know, maybe walks a lot, who takes a lot of balls out of the zone, doesn't swing, doesn't strike out, um, Maybe they have a pretty high on-base percentage, but maybe their slugging is low because they don't hit a lot of home runs. And vice versa, maybe there's a player who's really strong, who hits for power, has a lot of home runs. Their slugging percentage is really high, but with that, they also strike out a lot, so their on-base percentage could be relatively low. Um, So that, like, the OPS combines both of those metrics so that you can take different batter approaches into account I think that was my interpretation of it maybe I'm wrong but that's the vibe that I got all right let's enough stats for one second let's dive into the science for a little bit because you know you can take and what what's the phrase you can take the science out of the podcast but you can't take the I don't know how to say this I'm always going to come back to science is what you need to know about me and what you need to know about this platform. So let's dive into the science for a little bit. There's a few more metrics that I want to talk about that logistically, when you think about it in like a science perspective are in my opinion, very interesting and they make a lot of sense. Um, So we can think about baseball and the act of like hitting a ball with a bat as like, projectile motion, right? When the bat hits the ball, the ball becomes a projectile and it flies through the air and it kind of can rise a little bit. And then eventually with gravity, it falls and it sort of follows this arch trajectory usually. Recently, and I don't know how recently, actually, I probably should have looked it up, but there's been a development in baseball statistics and baseball analytics called StatCast, um, which basically measures things about the ball in play that quantify things that we previously weren't able to quantify or that we'd never really thought about quantifying before. 
So one of these measures, for example, is exit velocity, the speed with which the ball comes off the bat. Once the batter swings the bat and hits the ball, the ball will travel in the opposite direction with a certain speed. And that speed is the exit velocity. They also quantify things like launch angle, which is how, what is the angle from the ground by which the ball is going to travel off the bat. Um, another one is uh, the distance, how far the ball goes, like horizontally, once it's hit. So all of these measures determine the path that the ball will travel when it's hit based on kinematic motion, projectile motion, things that I learned in physics in 11th grade. Um, So things like exit velocity, launch angle, and the distance kind of define the path, the trajectory of the ball, along with things like air resistance, which is affected by humidity, temperature, wind speed, wind direction, things like that, that all determine how fast, how far the ball is going to travel before it falls to the ground, thanks to gravity. Shout out Isaac Newton for the whole gravity thing, by the way. Um, (laughs) So let's think about one of these, for example. So let's talk about launch angle. If the ball is hit at 90 degrees, so in other words, straight up from the ground, perpendicular to the ground, the trajectory of that ball hit straight up into the air will peak at a very high height, but it will not travel very far in the um, like horizontal direction towards the outfield. Um, and that's because the launch angle was so steep that it can only travel so far before gravity says, nope, time to come back down, and it'll not go out into the stands, right? So there, conversely, if you hit the launch angle really low, close to zero, the ball is going to stay in the park because there's no elevation to it. It'll just go straight out and then eventually get pulled down to the ground because of gravity again. So there's sort of like a sweet spot between zero and 90 where the launch angle will allow for the furthest distance. Um, And of course, the furthest distance with a given height will allow the ball to travel out of the field and become a home run. Um, So StatCast is sort of collecting all of this information, like the launch angle and the exit velocity and all of these things that you can literally plug into a formula, like a physics formula, and figure out how far the ball goes. And they use physics, I'm sure, to figure out one of those. I mean, I guess they could get direct measurements of like how far the ball traveled, the distance. They can like see where it landed and like measure. Um, and like launch angle, I'm sure they can look at video and like determine how the ball came off the bat. But if they were missing one of those measures, you can literally use a physics formula to find the missing measure, which is pretty interesting. 
Fun fact, I took physics multiple times before I understood it. Like, I hated it so much in high school when I first learned it because I didn't understand it at all. But then some physics concepts were brought up in my calculus class and I was like oh yeah I guess that's sort of familiar I guess I kind of get it and then when I took physics in college and calculus in college I was like oh my god this makes so much sense now so and now look at me I'm finding physics in my favorite pastime so that's your life lesson for today it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get something, to understand something, or to get somewhere. The point is that you eventually get there, that you eventually get it. That's what's important. There's your life lesson. You're welcome. (laughs) All right, anecdote over. Let's get into some defensive pitching stats. So similar to the offensive stats, there are a few measures that are sort of like counting measures like tally measures things like games so the number of games that the pitchers appeared in the innings pitched which is the number of innings that a pitcher has pitched um they use the innings pitched measure to normalize some other metrics and that's because there are um in baseball there are starting pitchers who start off the game, and they typically can pitch for five, six innings. Um, They're sort of what they call stretched out, where they're able to throw like 90 pitches, 100 pitches um, in like peak season form. Um, And then they have what are called relief pitchers, and the relief relief pitchers come into the game when the starting pitcher is done. Um, So relief pitchers don't pitch as many innings as starting pitchers do in a given game. Um, So they use the number of innings pitched per pitcher to sort of control or like normalize their stats. Like a starting pitcher might throw six strikeouts per outing, which is five innings. Um, But a relief pitcher could have three strikeouts in one inning, right? So it's sort of like, even though the starting pitcher had more strikeouts, when you do strikeouts per five innings, the relief pitcher had more, technically. Little semantics, little things like that. Um, other metrics include like number of pitches, number of strikeouts, which I kind of alluded to. Um, A lot of the offensive metrics that I talked about or the offensive stats, things like batting average, you can calculate for pitchers as a batting average against. So that's basically like how many hits did the pitcher give up in the number of at-bats that were faced against him. So it's sort of like flipping the perspective of things like batting average, OBP, slugging, things like that. You can all do those against to look at it from the pitcher's perspective. Another pitching stat or a pitching metric is the earned run, number of earned runs, um, or the earned run average, or ERA, which is a very common way to determine a pitcher's performance. So what an earned run is, is if a pitcher 
lets a batter on base, either through a hit or a walk or a hit by pitch, if that runner scores, so crosses home plate after reaching base, that is an earned run on the pitcher. There are also unearned runs, which are basically when a base or a batter reaches base on an error that was like out of the pitcher's control. So the example I gave before was the fielder dropped the ball. Um, So the fielder, the batter should have been out, but he reached first base on an error. That error was not, you know, if it was in the outfield or in the infield and it wasn't the responsibility of the pitcher, then that batter reached on an error. And if that batter scores, then that does not count as an earned run. It counts as an unearned run because... If it were up to the pitcher, that batter would not be there. He wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to score. Um, so that's earned run versus unearned run. The earned run average, or the ERA, is calculated by the number of earned runs times nine for nine innings divided by the number of innings pitched. So that's how they calculate ERA. And from ERA, they can determine how many runs a pitcher has given up. Um, Because starting pitchers tend to pitch more innings, they tend to have lower ERAs for the same amount of runs earned, if that makes sense. So like, because it's earned runs divided by innings pitched. So if the numerator the earned runs is the same for a starting pitcher and a relief pitcher, but the innings pitched is higher for the starting pitcher than it is for the relief pitcher, then that fraction of earned runs per innings pitched is going to be lower for the starting pitcher than the relief pitcher. So it's really only fair to compare within um, roles, I guess, within pitching roles. You wouldn't want to really necessarily compare ERA from a starting pitcher to a relief pitcher. But you can do like within their collective roles. I'm I'm rambling now. I'm sorry. Um, But this measure, I guess all the measures, kind of collect throughout the season, right? So you can like add on to as the season progresses. Another pitching statistic is called the WHIP. W-H-I-P, the walks and hits per innings pitched. And that tells us how good, um, or actually how not good, (laughs) the pitcher is at keeping batters off base. So you calculate the whip with the sum of walks plus hits divided by innings pitched. So a lower whip means that the pitcher had a better performance because there were less walks and hits on base during their innings that they've pitched. Um, Cool. So those are some of the pitching stats. Um, Since we talked about some physics for the batters, I also want to talk about some physics for the pitchers too. Um, Not really like get into the nitty gritty because to be honest, I I don't really understand the nitty gritty, but... um, There are a few StatCast-like analytics or like measurements that, um, from the pitcher's perspective, can benefit them. 
So some of these metrics include the release point or the extension. And this is where the ball leaves the pitcher's hand from the mound. So some pitchers, especially if some pitchers are really tall, they have a really long arm span, wingspan. Um, Their extension is longer, which means that they're letting go of the ball a little closer to home plate than like someone with shorter arms would, with T-Rex arms, you know what I mean? Um, So they have more extension. Another one of these metrics is velocity, which is the maximum speed of the pitch between its release and when it crosses home plate. And usually this is at the release point because when we throw something in the air, it usually slows down um, as it moves. One, because gravity is pulling it down and sort of taking some of its energy, its momentum um, off of its trajectory, but also because of things like air resistance slowing down the speed. Um, So usually the velocity is like the maximum speed of the ball leaving the pitcher's hand. Another metric, the last metric that I'll talk about here is spin rate. And that's how fast the baseball is spinning as it moves in towards the batter. Um, And that's measured in rotations per second or rotations per minute. I guess either one. Rotations per unit time. How about that? Work around the unknown. (laughs) Um, The spin of the ball affects a few things. One, it affects the trajectory where the ball ends up. Um, It also affects how the batter sees the ball. It, It, depending on the spin rate, the batter might see the ball coming faster than it actually is. Um, but it also affects, like I said, the trajectory and the way that the ball travels through the air. Um, so for example, for a given pitch, um, a higher spin rate could have a rising effect on the ball, making it land a few inches higher over the plate than the same pitch with a lower spin rate. Um, so taking all of these metrics, the spin rate, the, the velocity and the extension, um, the harder the pitcher throws it, so like the more extension, the higher velocity, the higher spin rate, the tougher it's going to be for the batter to not just make contact with the ball, with the bat, but also to push the ball back off of its initial trajectory coming in towards the batter and instead turn it around and make it fly out of the park, right? There's a lot that, there's a lot of like momentum of the ball flying at, some of these pitchers can throw 90, 95 miles an hour, right? So this ball's coming in with a lot of speed, a lot of velocity, and the batter has to overcome that velocity and not just stop it, but push it in the other direction and hit it 400, almost 500 feet in the other direction, some of these batters do. So it's really incredible when you think about it. It's a real feat of physics when you think about it. Very cool. Um, And part of what makes baseball so incredible to me. It's like, wow, this is just science in action. You know, I don't know how many people think of it like that, but I do. And maybe you will too now. Maybe you'll watch a baseball game and you'll be like, wow, 
momentum, you know, velocity, physics words, <laughs> all that fun stuff, you know. Um, but okay, I think that's enough stats for one day, um, but hopefully you can appreciate the many different and fun ways to measure the impressive talents of baseball. And softball, actually, because all of these metrics are also applied to softball. Um, so very cool. I hope you enjoyed. But yeah, maybe you're realizing that the baseball season is actually just one big series of science experiments, right? Every game, we collect data, we calculate metrics and output measures, and eventually run 162 trials, and... Eventually, all of these experiments draw to a conclusion with the World Series champion. And usually, as is the case with my experiments that I run in lab, that conclusion makes me really freaking angry. <laughs> yeah. No, no, not angry. Just disappointed most years. <sighs> all right. Well, that's all for this week. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at SamSplainingSci. Connect with me there and ask questions if you'd like. You can also submit your questions at samsplainingscience.com ask. So if you have anything that you want Sam Splain to you, ask away. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you learned a little bit and laughed a little bit, and I will talk to you next week. Bye. I went this entire episode without saying it, so I'm just going to get it out now. Let's go, Yankees. <laughs> Bye.